computer. Hello and welcome. This is 10,000 Startups, Legal Strategies for Startup Success. I'm your host, Roger Royce. In this week's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, instead of me interviewing a legal subject matter expert, uh, I actually am going to be interviewed and I'm going to talk a little bit about the topic of choice of entity. And I have with me today, attorney, Palo Alto attorney, Soyen Choi. Uh, she's a corporate and technology lawyer here in the Silicon Valley, and she has graciously agreed to come uh, talk to me about choice of entity. So thanks for being here, Soyen. Of course. Happy to. Happy to. Thanks well, for having me. Okay. So so why don't we get started? So I'll, I'll leave it up to you. I'm the interviewee today, which is a little bit different for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's it's a really useful topic that we get to cover a lot with our clients. Um, and so just right off the top, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about different entity options for uh, businesses. Yeah, so so there are a lot of options, but it really comes down to probably three. Um, and the three top ones are the, you know, our, my favorite Delaware C Corporation. That's number one. Um, secondly, is an LLC, limited liability company, taxed as a partnership. We could also make an election to tax it as a corporation or an S-corp if we want it to. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but as a corporate law matter, it's corporation, LLC. As a tax matter, we could have another category called an S-corporation. That's a state law corporation that makes an election under subchapter S to be taxed as a pass-through. And there actually are a couple of others that you don't hear about very much. I mean, maybe twice in my career, I've done business trusts, uh, which have their place. They used to be really popular with uh, syndicated 1031 transactions, but not so much otherwise. Um, and I've done unincorporated associations, usually for nonprofits, but hardly ever. In the business context, you know, we're usually talking corporation or LLC as a corporate matter. Yeah, and one question I get um, a lot is about the difference in costs in terms of forming um, either or having to form one as opposed to a partnership. Um, I tell people the cost is a, is comparable um, because the difference is with an LLC, we need an operating agreement that has to be drafted. So there's fewer documents, but it's highly tailored. The, the the good thing and the bad thing about an LLC is that it's all up to whatever you put in your operating agreement. So everything's up for grabs. The corporation, we don't have a 30-page operating agreement. The statutes, you know, we have bylaws where you do make a few decisions, but the corporate statutes will kind of supply most of the governance provisions for you. So there's fewer decisions to be made. For example, we know we're going to have a board of directors in a corporation. You know, you'll have managers in an LLC, but you could have directors, you could have officers, you don't have to have them, you have to have them in a corporation. So there's stuff like that. So all in all, I say it's going to be comparable. The, the difference in costs is if you're going to start with an LLC with the idea that eventually you're going to convert to a corporation, you've doubled your costs because now you get two entities by the time you're done. And I just warn people up front that if you want to get the benefit of flexibility of the LLC at the front end, but also the benefit of the corporation, if you ever get VC funding, just plan on paying twice. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good point. 
Yeah. And then how um, flexible uh, you mentioned converting a LLC to a corporation, like how, how, how uh, flexible are those options from one to the, you know, LLC to a corporation, corporation to LLC and um, electing uh, to have a S corp and then going back to a C. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a lot. So the typical structure is somebody says, look, I, I want the pass through benefits uh, I want one level of tax, which you get with an LLC taxes partnership. However, I want the flexibility and the optionality of being able to become a C corporation down the road when the venture capitalists come along and they look at my company and say, we only invest in C corps, which they will. So, uh, but I don't know if I'm going to get a VC. So I want to start with an LLC and convert to a corporation later. Um, that's super easy to do as a corporate matter. Right. I mean, we file a certificate of conversion and poof, now your LLC is a corporation. Uh, as a practical matter, you're going to have more than that to it. You'll have a plan of conversion that will specify what ownership interests everybody has, what happens to your options and profits interests and stuff like that. But still, it's relatively easy. As a tax matter, it's also relatively easy, uh, except there are a couple of traps. Uh, there might be some recapture deductions. So with an LLC that has debt finance tax deductions, somebody might pick up income on the incorporation. And it's very easy to plan around that, but it's a gotcha. And if you're not aware of it, it could be a surprise. Uh, although I've never, ever had that happen because you can very easily see it coming and plan around it. So the answer is it's, it's easy to go from LLC to corporation. Corporation to LLC, again, easy as a corporate law matter. We just file a certificate, but that's very difficult as a tax matter because, in effect, what you have is a liquidation of the corporation, and a liquidation is a taxable event. So there are ways, and you can find them um, in my slide share, uh, that I have a hack for that. There are ways to get there, but it's complex. It's fairly detailed. I'd have to draw a picture for you to show you how to do it. So we can get there, but it takes a lot of thought, so it's difficult to do. Now, the other thing you mentioned is what if we want to make an S election, right? right. To go from C corp to S corp. To go from C to S is super easy. Uh, and keep in mind, that's not a corporate matter. That's just a tax election. And we just file a document with the IRS and poof, you're an S corp, meaning now you're a pass-through instead of a separate taxable entity. Um, and similarly, to go from an S corp to a C is super easy. In fact, it happens uh, automatically and oftentimes inadvertently for an S corp that makes a mistake of issuing preferred stock or taking on a non-resident alien as a shareholder or having too many shareholders or in some cases having too much of the wrong kind of income. So that happens very easy. But again, we want to plan into that. We don't want the government telling us when you're an S corp and when you're a C corp. You know, you want to affirmatively make those elections either to be an escort or to terminate an S election. Yeah. Yeah. I think people, you know, uh, don't realize like they do have a lot of flexibility and uh, choosing an entity is important, but it shouldn't be a hang up because they can always like change or convert later on. Yep. Yeah. Um, how about a couple of differences in terms of uh, management between different, uh, for, for example, LLCs and a corporation? Yeah, so so like I said, the, the benefit and the, the danger of an LLC is that it's extremely flexible. So your management is kind of whatever you decide. You can have a member-managed LLC, 
I hardly see those anymore, by the way, because why would you when you can have a manager managed LLC and just the, the members select a manager? And um, oftentimes LLCs, they'll try to mimic the corporate structure so they'll elect officers, but they don't have to. And so it's kind of whatever your operating agreement says about management. With the corporations, a little bit different. Uh, we have a board of directors by statute. You have to have a board. And the board makes all the managerial decisions, and they have to select officers. you got to fill three offices here in California, president, secretary, treasurer. could be the same person, but it's three offices. And there's just a lot more that's hardwired into that. Um, now, with smaller or close corporations in California, you could have a shareholders agreement that allocates um, some of the management rights to the shareholders, but again, as a practical matter, we hardly ever do that, even mm-hmm. though it's allowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on the role of an advisor? I feel like that comes up on a pretty frequent basis as well. Yeah, pretty much every, I, I work with tech startups and they all want to get VC funding and then become the next big thing. And all of them, almost all of them have an advisory board. And keep in mind, that's different. So your board of directors, they're fiduciaries. They manage the entity. They have obligations. Advisors are not fiduciaries. Um, if they're smart, they'll ask for indemnity. But but still, they're not likely as likely to get sued for a fiduciary problem if something goes wrong with the corporation. Uh, they are there not to manage the entity. They are there just to provide their expertise on very narrow, specific topics on which they are expert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it is it typical to have um, a robust number of advisors or a minimum or? It's all over the place. Kind of depends on the company. Um, it's, uh, I think that every company, well, let's back up. I think it ought to have more, the more successful company will have more than one founder because uh, I work with tech companies, and it's pretty rare to find somebody that has technical expertise and domain expertise both, right? I do a lot of work with agriculture technology. Pretty rare to find somebody who understands the agricultural markets and is good enough technically uh, to build the technology side. I'm not saying impossible, it just doesn't happen that often. So usually there's at least two, and oftentimes the third person has just got business acumen. And then beyond that, we want advisors who are going to come in and, for example, gee, I'm going to get you into the market. You know, I'm going to get you in front of the, for ag tech, in front of the farmers. Uh, I'm going to help you with this technical problem. Um, I'm going to introduce you to the investment community. So whatever it is, and it kind of depends on the company and how much appetite they have for that. Um, I tell companies, the more the merrier, you know, just the more advisors you have, the better off you are, because you might have blind spots, you might not know. uh, And with especially now, especially with AI, um, it's a race to the market, right? It's just a race. The more people you have, the faster you're going to get there. Right. Yeah, true. You know, uh, a huge salient feature that we always discuss is liability. Yeah. And um, so for the purposes of this question, I think we should just sort of uh, mash the corporate entity and then the LLC in the same description. But um, yeah, I mean, can you describe a little bit about, you know, the advantages of limiting your liability through establishing an entity? Um, 
Well, that is the number one reason for having an entity. And it's not very often, but once in a while, somebody will say to me, you know, gee, why do I need an entity? I want to do business as a sole proprietorship, which basically means you're just out there uh, being, uh, not having any liability protection. The number one reason you have an entity is so that if something goes wrong, that liability stops at the entity level and it doesn't bankrupt the founder. And I like to tell a story about one of my clients because uh, I do startups and most often startups fail. Let's just be honest. They just do. Um, and and sometimes it take, you got to go out a few times before you hit that winner. And I like to tell the story of one of my clients who he must have put 30 different apps in the app store and the first 29 failed. <laughs> the 30th one became a billion dollar company. And, you know, I like to say, well, gee, what would have happened if, you know, if the first, you know, few apps would have brought him down personally, you know, he didn't incur a lot of liability around them, but he could have, you know, he never would have gotten to the one big winner. So you definitely want to be able to live to fight another day. So you should have an entity. Now on that, a lot of lawyers will dance on the head of a pin <laughs> as to whether the LLC or the corporation provides better limited liability. For our purposes, I think we can look at them as being equivalent. And, you know, the idea is, well, gee, with an LLC, you don't have to observe as many formalities as you do with a corporation. And that's true. Like corporations, they get disregarded because people don't observe any formalities. With an LLC, we really don't have that problem. Uh, but other than that one little arcane narrow exception, I, I view them as equivalent. Mm -hmm. because we're going to observe formalities. We're going to do it right. Let's just assume we're going to do everything right. If that's the case, then we've got our limit liability. Right. I think that should definitely be the foundational assumption when you're talking to your attorney. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, another question that comes up in terms of um, the protection from liability, and this is a little premature, I think, for this interview, but when should you separate create a separate entity for a a new project or do you have sometimes clients who put multiple projects into one vehicle yeah no that that's a really good question we, we call that a spinoff <laughs> and we'll do that and that's a really good question because we'll do that whenever we see a different risk profile especially if there's a different risk reward profile so just imagine, and I've gone through this hundreds of times, uh, our client, uh, let's let's take the, the best example. We have product A, or we have service, even better. And out of that service, we develop a product. And it's a little bit different. It, maybe it's more scalable. Maybe it's less scalable. Usually it's more scalable. Uh, but it's more risky. It could fail. And we don't want that project to take down our core business. But we do want to give it a chance. So we'll drop it into a subsidiary. And I used to do that with LLCs all the time because they're just so easy, so much easier to form than a corporation, less paper, you know, especially if there's one owner. Um, I probably do that through corporations more now uh, because it's just as easy to consolidate on a tax return with a subsidiary C corporation. But in any event, we'll drop that into a separate entity. And, and uh, if it really takes off, will complete the spinoff and distribute the shares of that separate entity to the shareholders of the core company, the mothership. And now we get two brother-sister companies instead of a parent sub. 
but but either way, for liability protection purposes, we just want it in a separate entity. So if it fails, well, it was nice try, you know, and uh, you know, better luck next time. Right, right. Yeah, it happens. Uh, you know, that sort of assessment has to happen. I think with their professionals, you know, with their an attorney to figure out what they've seen. And one um, uh, conflict or issue that pops up is uh, what's the word? I don't want to say philosophical, but sort of, um, I guess, thematic. So that could lead to disruptions or disagreements at the board level or in management. So, you know, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think that'd be uh, in terms of shareholders who start to disagree or members of an LLC who think that they're not equally carrying the load and then those kinds of like uh, disputes. Well, yeah. So, you, you know, there's a million ways a dispute can come up in that scenario, but um what we try to do is anticipate that and we'll have, and a lot of people don't think of this until it's too late because they can't imagine they're ever going to have a dispute. So you have two owners of a company. It's a 50-50 company. I really want to have a dispute resolution mechanism in that company. And if it's an LLC, I can figure out a way to do that. If there's a dispute, we could have what they call a blind option one party could put their shares to the other, and the option is you either you either buy my interest or you sell me at the exact same price. Another dispute resolution mechanism, and this is true of LLCs or corporations. If I see a 50-50 deal, I'm really going to push for a dispute resolution mechanism because the odds of a dispute are pretty high. And I've seen disputes where if, if you don't have that sort of mechanism, the answer is you're done. You know, no no investor is going to invest in a dispute, right? And then the company, all that goodwill you've built up, everything you've done, it just disappears, and you both got to go your separate ways and start over. And I see that happen all the time, especially when the parties just don't get around to documenting anything. But once we do, if it's 50-50, I want to have a dispute resolution mechanism. The best way, though, is to have not 50-50, you know, to have maybe three shareholders or three directors. I rarely have a corporation with two directors. That's just too high risk. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, disputes are not only fatal to a company, a small company, they're really expensive, right? If you have to come talk to me about a dispute because you can't agree, that's going to cost a lot of money. And if you have to go talk to a litigator, that's going to cost a fortune. As a practical matter in startup land, a dispute just means you're done. Just you know, wind up the company and start over. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And your advice about monitoring it and trying to get ahead of it is really important, you know, because at the end of the day, it does seem more likely than not to be about relationships or, you know, division of labor. And so those things will naturally shift over time. So it's it's the only way to get around it is to talk about the specifics of that company. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. So changing, uh, I guess, a little bit of a topic. Uh, I think, you know, we're a global economy now. Um, are there certain considerations for international businesses or uh, investors who want to come in from overseas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we would always use a C corporation if we have a foreign owner, like a foreign investor. And the reason why is we can use an LLC, Texas, a partnership. We could do that. 
but it would be a bad idea tax wise because first of all the LLC slash partnership would have to withhold tax on that foreign owner's share of income, whether it's distributed or not, and they have to withhold at the highest rate. And I just, you just can't justify that. You can't justify that. Uh, and secondly, the foreign investor is now in the US tax net and they never want that. So almost always, I mean, there are some cases if it's real estate and you have a foreign investor who doesn't mind being in the US tax system or would like capital gains on the back end, then we'll use a, a pass-through. But uh, for my operating company clients, um, it's always a C-Corp if we have a foreign investor. And it can't be an S-Corp if it's a foreign investor, by the way, because you cannot have a foreign shareholder in an S-Corp. Now, you could have a there's certain types of trusts that you could set up if you really wanted to keep your S-election and accommodate that foreign investor. Uh, I've talked about it a lot since 2017 when the law changed, 2018. Never done one, you know, because once you figure it out, nobody really wants to do one. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that's a good um, uh, aspect to keep in mind because a lot of times when you're fundraising, you you just want to figure out how to gain those funds, and you're not really thinking about the, you know, origin of, you know, the opportunity or right. how to accommodate for that. Um, well, you know what? We could use a blocker corp. And we do that regularly. So say we got an LLC. I love my LLC. I'm not giving it up, but I really want that foreign investor's money. Foreign investor doesn't want this tax burden. So we create a corporation, C-Corp. Foreign investor, uh, he owns 100% of the C-Corp. And the C-Corp is actually, the, the U.S. domestic C-Corp uh, is actually the investor in the LLC. So there's ways to deal with the problem. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely has to be addressed before. Yep. You know, any papers yep. are signed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's always nice if I can see the papers before they're signed. Right. Exactly. Actually, you know, so who would be your core team, you know, at this initial stage when you're thinking about choice? Of ah, thank you. That's a question people don't think about enough either. I, I bring the, well, first of all, your lawyer. Um, I'm the canary in the coal mine. I'm the first person, you know, to see the see the company. But then the accountant, you got to get the accountant. You got to make them part of the problem. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, I want the accountant to be on board from day one. I don't want to get a call from the accountant in April next year saying, oh, I disagree with this choice of entity decision. They should have been an escort because there are some benefits to that for, for the right company. So I would say the lawyer, the accountant, um, sometimes I'll rope the banker in. Um, if I'm forming a new entity, we're talking to bankers fairly quickly. Because oddly enough, that sometimes is the hardest part of the process is getting a bank account open. Not so bad anymore. Uh, during the lockdowns, it was terrible. Uh, so that's probably the core three people, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, let's talk a little bit about... Um, we're getting towards the end of the time so oh, what else would you like to cover okay 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 there's just so many questions so i think definitely people should follow up and contact you directly um <laughs> i guess qualified small business stock if you wanted to a couple of minutes yeah that, that's kind of the number one issue for choice of entity for my clients now um and here's here's okay qualified small business stock what this is is if you own qualified small business stock 
and you hold that stock for five years and you sell it, you have a complete 100% exemption from federal income tax for up to $10 million or 10 times your cost basis. So it's pretty valuable. It's a huge giveaway. In fact, it is the biggest giveaway in Silicon Valley. It's, you know, and everybody knows about it and everybody wants it and investors expect it. Uh, so how, what do we do to preserve it? Well, only a C corporation can issue QSBS, qualify small business stock. There's numerous other requirements, but for our purposes, the one to keep in mind is that only a C corporation can issue that stock. So if you're an LLC, you can't give your investor QSBS until you incorporate. All right. And then once we incorporate, then it can issue that new stock. Now, it's a little tricky as to how the QSBS gain gets calculated in that case, because uh, the appreciation up until the time of incorporation is not going to be the type of gain that gets excluded, but the appreciation after incorporation will be. So again, call the accountant, sharp metal pencil, let the client know what they can expect. Um, the second place this comes up is, gee, I made an S election way back when, and I want it, and I did that for good tax reasons. I want it passed through. I want it to avoid self-employment taxes. That's why people do it. Um, and now I want to issue shares to my investor, but he wants, he or she wants QSBS. What do I do? Well, you terminate your S election. That's good for the investor, not so good for you, the founder, because you got your stock while the company was an S-corp, so it's not QSBS. I have a hack for that, right? We can start all over in a non-taxable way and end up with your S-corp having QSBS and your investor having QSBS, and everyone will be happy. But you really do have to plan into it, and you should get your accountant on board as you do it so they understand why you're doing what you're doing. Good points, good points. Well. I think I mentioned we have reached the end of our time. Yeah, I want to thank you for being here. This has been a great discussion. We could, you know, we could talk for hours about this. In fact, I have. <laughs> and you'll find I have slides on this topic that that drill really deeply uh, on SlideShare. But with that, uh, this is Roger Royce. This has been an episode of the podcast, 10,000 Startups Legal Strategy for Startup Success. I've been here talking with Soyan Choi. Thank you for being here, Soyan. Thank you.